As you're seated, go ahead, and if you have your Bibles, turn, if you would, to Psalm 130. Because, you know, I, this is a Sunday that some of you have been looking forward to and others have been dreading, all right? This is the Sunday when we start singing Christmas songs, right? We, we started with Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Some of you all are like, oh, yay, and others are like, oh, no, it's that time of year, right? That's how it goes. As we've already mentioned this morning, as we're going through the Christmas season this year, we will be celebrating Advent as we anticipate the coming of Christmas Day. Now, for those of you that are not familiar with what Advent is, I'll take just a moment to explain. Luke's already helped us a little bit, but in a traditional Christmas context, it is the four Sundays leading up to Christmas that begins with the Sunday closest to November the 30th and ends on Christmas Eve. Uh, This year, Christmas Eve happens to be on a Sunday. And during these four Sundays, there is a focus on a particular theme relevant to the celebration of Christmas. And so as part of our worship this month, a candle will be lit each week to celebrate each particular theme until we light the center candle, which represents the culmination of all that we will talk about. We will light that to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. I bet you can guess when we're going to light that too, right? All right? We're going to light that on Christmas Eve. So I hope you come and even be with us now. As we begin today, I assume you could even already guess our focus for today. Our focus for today is hope. For Christmas time is a time of hope. I know in reality, Christmas will bring a variety of emotions. In fact, those emotions can change from year to year. This year, our family will be celebrating Christmas without Kim's mom for the first time, and because of that, there will be some emotions that come with that. Even looking back to Thanksgiving, there were traditions that reminded us of her, so there were some sad moments. But in the midst of these moments, we are reminded, especially at Christmas, there is hope. And so today, whether you anticipate a Christmas that's full of nothing but good feelings or whether you anticipate a Christmas that includes some difficult moments, I want you to know today that there is hope. Now, to help us understand the hope we have and how we find this hope, that's why we've turned to Psalm 130. You might have been expecting to turn to Matthew or Luke, since that's the typical places that we use during the Christmas time, but we're going to find in Psalm 130 a great reminder of the hope that we find at Christmas. Look at how this psalm begins. It's already been read, but let me read it again. It says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. As we look at this psalm, we're going to see, first of all, that there is a need for mercy. You know, the psalmist declared, out of the depths I cried to you, and I don't know what you think when you hear those words, but what one should picture here is a person who finds himself in a place of drowning and needing to be rescued. The depths in Scripture commonly referred to the depths of the sea, and the psalmist is declaring here that he is in a place where he is in desperate need of help, help which, if it does not come, might end in his drowning. Just these first few words most likely speak to many here. I mean, have you ever found yourself in a a place that you might call the depths? Anybody? Yeah. Or if not, are you there even right now in those moments? There's nothing specific given here in the text to tell us what the psalmist in this place is, what has him in this place. But if we look at our lives, there are many things that can get us to a place where we feel like we're drowning. There will be some who this time of year that when you feel this pressure buying things that you feel like you're in the depths because financially it's hard to make ends meet and the thought of buying stuff for Christmas makes you feel like you're drowning. 
Others find themselves in a place of being overwhelmed because of family strife. It could be a spouse having difficulty with another spouse or a parent with a child or a sibling with another sibling. Others, it's not family strife, but strife at work. You find yourself in a place where you're not happy with your job or you're surrounded at work with negativity or you find yourself in a place where you think the boss is out to get you and so you're just trying to survive day to day. For others, maybe you find yourself in a personal battle. Maybe it's with your thoughts or maybe with the uh, habit that you have, but whatever it is, it's consuming your life, hurting you personally and hurting your relationships, but you know you're drowning and you need help. Whatever the case is for you, you are in the depths. You need help. You need mercy in order to make it. Now, if that's you, you relate to the psalmist, and I'm sure if you don't relate right now, you either have in the past or you will in the future. As we think about this idea of the depths, in fact, there's a natural place for a person familiar with the scriptures to think about. That place is actually a person whose name is Jonah. If there's a person who experienced the depths like no other, it was Jonah who was thrown into the depths of the sea and swallowed by a great fish prepared by God. Now, if you know Jonah's story, here's what you know. You know Jonah ended up in that place because of his failure to obey God. Jonah had been given a message from God to deliver to the people of Nineveh, but Jonah didn't want to deliver it, so he tried to run from God. That's a bad mistake, right? Yeah. Many of you know that is an attempt to run from God, or in that attempt, that Jonah ends up on a ship. God sends a strong storm against that ship. When it's discovered by the pagan crew of all people that Jonah is the source of the trouble, they obey, all right? The pagans <laughs> obey, and they throw him out of the boat into the sea. And if you know the story, all right, the sea's calmed, and Jonah begins to sink to the bottom of the sea where he is swallowed by that fish. Y'all know the story, right? In Jonah 2, we see Jonah's response as he finds himself in the belly of the fish, no doubt in the depths like he's never been before. And here are his words. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice for you cast me into the depth, into the heart of the sea and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Now, as we read the Psalms and this word here in Jonah, as we consider these together, here's what we're going to see. In our need, the one to turn to is the Lord God. See, Jonah made it clear that he cried out to the Lord and the Lord answered him. Even though Jonah found himself in what we could clearly see as an impossible situation, in a place where we would say his life surely is ending, it is in that place that he cried to the Lord and the Lord answered him. Now, maybe you don't need this reminder today, but my guess is that some of you do need it, so I'll say it. All right, if you are in a place of great need, the place to, to turn to is God. Why do we need this reminder? It's because many times the places we turn to in a time of need are places other than God. We think this, all right, if I just read the right book, all right, then I'm going to find all the answers that I need. And so we turn to books and say, I'm going to find my answers. Sometimes we turn to friends thinking, you know what, if I have just the right friend, that friend will help me get th th through this. They'll give me what I need. Some turn to their money thinking they can buy themselves out of their difficulties. Others turn to distractions of various sorts thinking if they can just distract themselves long enough, their troubles will disappear. But people turn to many things, but the basic thing they are ultimately turning to is self. And all of these things are an attempt to fix the situation by oneself. And let's be honest, many times when we turn to ourselves, our situation just gets worse. 
Isn't that right? That is surely what happened to Jonah. When Jonah was trying to deal with his situation in his own way, instead of God's way, it led him to the belly of the fish. Jonah's problem was only increased by his solution. But here's what I love about how God works. God, hear me, is always seeking to bring us back to him. In fact, you may not want to hear this morning. may not want to hear this, but here's the truth we all need. Are you ready? God often places us in the depths so we will turn to him. You don't want to hear that this morning, right? But that's the truth. Think about this. Notice what, notice what Jonah said while he was in the belly of the whale, or the fish, not the, 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 the whale, fish, right? He says, for you, right? He's saying this to God. He said, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. See, here's what Jonah realized, that it was God who had put him in the deep. And it was God who was at work in the midst of that deep to rescue him. You know, we have this tendency to look at our difficulties and doubt God. When what God is wanting us to do in those difficulties is to realize that he is our source of strength and help. Where's the amens on that one? Right? Thank you. All right. This should make sense to us since he's God. We should turn to him. Because he is the creator and the sustainer of all things and because he's in control, he is ultimately our answer. Here in the psalmist, we don't necessarily pay attention to this, but twice we read about the psalmist calling out to the Lord in verses one and two. And if you look at your English translations, they try to help us understand what was originally written in that the word Lord in the first verse is in all capital letters. And if you don't know this, you need to be aware that when you see the word Lord in all caps in our English translation, the original language, the word was Yahweh. And it was considered the proper name of God. And so here the psalmist understood one thing. The one to cry out to was the Lord God, the one God who is the creator of all things. I'm reminded of a joke that Kim, of all people, told me this week. It happened one day that God was sitting in heaven when a scientist said to him, Lord, we don't need you anymore. Science has finally figured out a way to create life out of nothing. In other words, we can now do what you did in the beginning. Oh, is that so? Tell me, replies God. Well, the scientist says the scientist, we can take dirt and form it into the likeness of you and breathe life into it, thus creating man. Well, that's interesting, God said. Please show me. So the scientist bent down to the earth and started to mold the soil. Oh, no, 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 interrupted God. Get your own dirt. <laughs> All right. Now, I thought that was a pretty clean joke to tell here in church this morning, right? You get the point? Why would we cry out to anyone other than God? Because he is the one who made everything. And because he made everything and owns everything, he is the one we should cry to. The Lord God is the one we cry to. Amen. Now, likewise, in verse two, the word therefore, Lord, is not in all caps, but is the word Adonai, which emphasizes that God is our owner and our master. Because of that, he is the one to whom we should turn for direction. Even in the depths, we should be turning to our Adonai, our Lord, our master, and saying, God, what should I do? Because you are the one who is my Lord. You're the one who is the one who rules me. You're my master. Tell me in the depths, what should I do? But notice at the end of verse two, the psalmist is asking God to hear his pleas of mercy. 
A plea of mercy being a request for God's kindness or asking God to look on him with favor. Can, can I ask you this? Why is this a plea for mercy? Well, if you wonder, look at verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Here's what the psalmist recognized, that there is not a one of us who deserves God to look on us with favor. Not a one. Now, if we're honest, there are times that this truth is more evident than others. There are times when I am just being a jerk or just being ornery, and it's evident that I don't deserve God's favor. You've probably had moments like that, right? Right? On the other hand, there are times when I think I deserve God's favor. There are times when I'm being super nice, super helpful, on a streak of making good decisions that I know God would be pleased with when I thank God, you really should love me. Maybe you've had times like that as well. But the reality is, even in those times, all right, when I'm doing things right, we're doing, I, I don't deserve God's favor. Oh, how I wish I could say today that I could stand in front of you and say, I deserve God's love. Maybe you look at me and say, well, you're a preacher. You must deserve God's favor, right? If that's you, let me tell you this. I'm like every other person here this morning, a person who is full of flaws, a person who too many times was unkind when I should have been kind, a person who had impure thoughts when God desired nothing but pure thoughts, a person who spoke ill of others when instead I should have been speaking encouraging words, a man who should have spoken up but instead remained silent. I, I like you so many moments in life that I can look back and say God was not happy with me. In fact, God was extremely disappointed. And I can say those things and I can confess that to you this morning knowing this, that I'm in good company with each and every one of you right? I know you're all with me. Maybe you should even say, I'm there. I'm there. All right, good. I just want to make sure you're there. We're all in good company with the psalmist who is saying if the Lord today gave us what we deserve, we would not be able to stand. And because he knows his condition, the psalmist cries out for mercy, but he's not crying out in despair because look at what he says in the next verse in verse four, but with you, there's forgiveness that you may be feared. You see, the psalmist acknowledges that he would not be able to stand if he received from God what he deserved, but he was crying out for mercy because he knew the great truth that with God, there is forgiveness. Is that good news for us today? Absolutely. There's hope for all of us because the Bible tells us that God is a God of mercy, that God is a forgiving God, that God has a love that is everlasting. You know, in fact, if no one has ever told you before, let me be the one to tell you today, God loves you. He loves you. And because he cares for you, he is ready for you to cry out to him from the depths, whatever that looks like for you today. Even if your death is a mess that you've caused by your sin, hear me, God is ready to hear you and forgive. Now, with that said, let me give you a word of caution. Sometimes your deliverance requires waiting. Yes, the psalmist cries out for mercy, but in the cry, he says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. Now, these are probably not words you want to hear today because we don't like to wait. I'm sure we have some Amazon Prime customers who've tried to order something and got mad because you thought to yourself, how come I can't get delivered this tomorrow? Right? Or how come I have to wait a few days for delivery? I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but I know it's true, all right, because maybe if nothing else, you try to order something for someone for Christmas, but there's no delivery date until after Christmas, and you can't understand that. You think it's just wrong that you can't get it before Christmas. You just can't stand that you've got to wait, right? 
I know that's been experienced in this room this morning, all right? You wonder why. Well, so when you hear the psalmist says, I wait, you don't like that at all. But that's reality. What you need to do is look at what the psalmist says here and simply know that if you are in a season of waiting, you are in good company here as well. The psalmist even helped us understand what he was experiencing when he said he waited with a greater sense of urgency than the watchman for the morning. Now, if you don't know what that means, this watchman was a person who had the responsibility of keeping watch over the city for enemies, but he had to do it at night when it was hard to see. And of course, this was written in a day before they had night vision goggles, right? Y'all know that? They didn't have that. I mean, those who kept watch by day had an important job, but it was easier to see and to keep watch by day. Enemies could even be seen at a far distance in the light. But the night watchman had to be extra alert and had to use extra care to guard against an enemy who could be hard to see through the darkness of the night. And so they were always thankful when the morning came and their shift was over. The strain of watching and the stress of wondering if there was something that they could not see would pass with the morning light and the ending of the shift. So therefore, these watchmen continually longed for the morning. The psalmist said this, more than a night watchman, and he said it twice for emphasis, more than a night watchman, he waited for deliverance from the depths of his despair. You see, the psalmist was ready for his wondering to be lifted. He was ready to see things in life more clearly. He was ready to be delivered from the burden that came as he lingered in the depths. Maybe there are some who relate to this waiting. You've been waiting for a rebellious child to come home, or maybe you've been waiting for what seems like an eternity for the doctors to give you some answers, or waiting for hurt to ease from the loss of the one you love, or waiting for things to get better at work, or waiting for things to get better at home. Maybe you've been waiting for the ease to your financial burden, or waiting for your big break to come. For maybe you, it's the waiting to finding that special someone, or maybe waiting for the positive pregnancy test, or the adoption to come through. Your waiting can come in many forms, but you've been waiting, and you like the psalmist, wait with great expectations. You're ready for the wait to be over and some ease to come from what you see as the moments of your depths. If, that you, the relate, if, if, that's, if you relate to the psalmist, don't forget this. You should wait with hope. L look again at what the psalmist said in verse five. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word, I what? I hope. Yes, the psalmist obviously was in a difficult place as he cried out for mercy. Yes, the psalmist was most likely even tired of waiting for the answer to come. But even though those things were true, notice he waited with hope and this hope was found in God's word. You see, what God's word showed him is that God can be trusted. What God's word showed him is that God takes care of his people. What God's word showed him is that God can do all things. God's word even showed him that at times waiting was required for God's work to be seen. These are things that God wants us to know as well. You see, maybe the psalmist read in God's word and looked just at the life of Moses. Think about this. He would have read how God protected Moses from being killed as a baby and instead raised in Pharaoh's house while being cared for in part by his own mother. But then he read how it took 80 years, all right, before Moses was ready to lead Hebrew, but how after 80 years of waiting, God used him to deliver the Jews from Egyptian bondage. Then, of course, in that deliverance, God did numerous miracles, including the parting of the sea, which is the one we all focus on and often forget the miracles of the manna from heaven and water from the water. 
If the psalmist had just read God's word and focused on Moses, he would have found hope for his situation. But God's word gives us many reasons and examples for us to have hope. In fact, what you should see is this. There is good reason to have hope. Look at what he said in verse 7. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. Before we look specifically in this verse as why we have reason for hope, I want you to notice that in this verse there's a change. In the first part of this psalm, the psalmist is focused on himself. He is crying out for mercy. He is waiting on the Lord, hopefully. But notice how he is giving an invitation here in verse 7 to have hope to all of Israel. He is sharing the hope that he has with others. Notice he says, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. He wants others to understand the hope that he has. And here's what is really interesting to me in this moment. Most likely, he has not even fully experienced his deliverance. He is quite possibly still waiting for his deliverance, but so assured that God's going to do what he knows he's going to do, that he's inviting others to place their hope in God as well. What does that say to us? Well, so many people fail to share hope that they have in God because they don't think they have all the answers, even though they've experienced a great deliverance by God. Yet here's one who's not yet fully experienced his deliverance, yet already sharing. I think it tells us this. We should be sharing the reason for our hope with others. I like the challenge Peter gave in 1 Peter 3.15 when he wrote, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Folks, listen, you should always be ready to give a reason for your hope, All right? You should be ready to share when things are not going well in life and your deliverance has not yet come. You should be ready to share when things are going great in your life and your deliverance has already come and gone. You should always be ready to share the hope that you have. Now, if you're here today and maybe you're still looking for hope or maybe you need a reminder of why you have hope, let's consider the two things the psalmist pointed the people to as a reason to have hope. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. You want to know one reason? Because there's steadfast love in the Lord. Right? I believe here's something we should be able to agree on today. In our world, we have lost an understanding of what love is. Have we not? I'm going to tell you, here's, here's my experience as a pastor, you ready? In one moment, I could have people say they just love me. And then the next moment, guess what? They don't. They don't like me no more. That quick. I've seen this happen in marriages. A, a spouse will say, oh, you're just the love of my life, right? They can't imagine life without them. Everything is great. And then suddenly love is gone, all right? It's, it's immediately gone. And apparently now all that love is past. In fact, before you know it, they're already with somebody else saying they love them. I share those two examples to remind us that we have a view that, that says this, that love is, is easy come and easy go. And so we often view God's love in this way. But notice what the psalmist said again. Hope is found because with the Lord, there is steadfast love. What does that mean? That with the Lord, there's steadfast love. It means that his love for us can be counted on and that his love doesn't change like the shifting sand. 
If you look into God's word where the psalmist said he found hope, we can find passages like this one in Exodus where Moses pondering the deliverance that he and the Hebrew people had experienced says, you have led in your, look, steadfast love the people whom you've redeemed. You've guided them by your strength to your holy abode. And let me remind you, this was a stubborn people. Then Deuteronomy 7, as Moses is looking ahead to a time when the people will live in the promised land, when he's trying to prepare the people for what lies ahead and helping them understand how they need to relate to this God who had already done so much for them, but as they were still waiting for what God will do, said this, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to what? A thousand generations. Not only is the truth about God seen in these passages, but even after the time when the psalmist had written these words in Psalm 130, the prophet Isaiah confirmed the truth of God's love. Isaiah, speaking to a people who had suffered for their disobedience to God, reminded them that even though they had failed God, his love for them didn't end. He reminded the people that God even loves us in our failure when he shared these words from God in Isaiah 54, 8. In overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Good news, right? I'm reminded then that the Apostle Paul as well told us that God continues to love us even when we are not perfect, as he wrote this about God's love in Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us and that while we are still sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. You should have helped no matter what you are going through, knowing that God loves you. And as a God who loves you, he is a God who's prepared to take care of you and deliver you. God loves you in spite of you, right? God loves you because that's his character. Now, because God has a steadfast love for us, there's another reason that we can have hope. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption. I'm so creative. Plentiful redemption is your reason. If redemption is a new word to you, the definition of redemption is the action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil. God in the history of Israel redeemed them from slavery. When they were in Egypt, God saved them from the evils of Pharaoh. When the people made mistakes in the wilderness, God redeemed them from their mistakes. When he could have turned his back on the people, God instead delivered them. And most specifically, God delivered them from their sin. Sin causes us a bondage. Sin causes us to be a slave to it. But God, because of his steadfast love, redeemed the people. I love the fact, though, that he, the text says plentiful redemption. Because if not, we could look back and say that God had so much redemption for the Hebrew people that surely there's no redemption left for me. But on the contrary, his redemption is plentiful. That means there's enough for all of us. He's not going to run out using his redemption on someone else and not have any for you. And even if you think God has redeemed me in the past, surely he doesn't have anything left for me now. You need to know that God's redemption is plentiful. God can redeem you from your enemies. God can redeem you from your pain. God can redeem you from whatever today is the cloud that might be hanging over you. For God is a God with plentiful redemption. As we consider God's redemption, let's get specific with this. Our greatest hope is found in God's redemption from sin. Look at how the psalmist ended in verse 8. And we, he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's remember that when the psalmist wrote these words, hear me, 
It was many years before Jesus was born. Much of Israel's history was still to be written. There was rebellion that we know now about that had yet to take place. But you know what? Look at this. God was already giving Israel word of hope. God was in advance, in advance of their rebellion, letting them know that his redemption was ready and that he was ready to redeem from, hear me, all iniquities. Another reminder of the depths of God's redemption. Not only does his redemption not run out in quantity, his redemption is of the highest quality in that there is nothing that God cannot redeem us from. That is good news for all of us today because this room is full of sin of all kinds. We have people in this room who at one time was consumed by addiction to drugs and alcohol, yet God has redeemed. We have people in this room who has had their life turned upside down because of unfaithfulness, whose life has been redeemed now and is filled with faithfulness. We have people who have records for, with the courts who now live honorable lives. There are so many stories of redemption in this place. I know that God has worked. I say that to remind us all that God is a God who redeems and God is above all a God who redeems from sin. In fact, the Advent season is one that looks forward with hope. Before Jesus was born, the people did not understand what God was going to do, but now we celebrate looking forward to our Christmas celebration, but knowing what God has already done by sending Jesus. Jesus was really the redemption that the psalmist spoke about in Psalm 130. Think about what the angel told Joseph who was considering divorcing Mary when he found out she was with child. Listen to what the angel said in Matthew 1. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. If we want, we could say this. He will redeem his people from their sins. That's what Jesus did. Jesus came to be the one who made God's redemption possible. In fact, often a redemption requires a payment. You redeem something by paying a price for its return. In fact, I'm still, uh, I guess not still, I, was, I think I was getting ready to say still young enough. Actually, I'm old enough. I'm old enough to remember when we could redeem soft drink bottles. Y'all remember that, right? You get a soft drink in a bottle. The kids today don't, what you, what's he talking about? They have no clue, right? But we'd get our soft drink bottles and then we would save them because we would take them back to the store and redeem them. You know what that meant, right? It meant the company bought them back. They gave us money to bring the bottles back. They were redeeming them. They were buying them back. Some of y'all are mean, right? all the young people are saying, man, that sounds weird. Why would we do that? We just throw it in the trash can, right? No, 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 not, not back then. Well, see, here's the truth. Our sin caused us to be slaves to sins. And as I said, slaves to Satan. But God paid the price to buy us back. And the price was the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. But thankfully, God's redemption was full and complete. So Jesus, on the third day, rose again to prove his power to forgive sin. And so by your faith in him, redemption can be yours. And that brings us hope. You see, anyone today can experience this greatest hope by placing his or her faith in Jesus Christ. As we prepare to move to an invitation, we're going to celebrate God's redemption by celebrating the Lord's Supper. In a way, the Lord's Supper looks backwards to what Jesus has already done. 
And at the same time, it looks forward with hope. Many of you need hope today, right? You can go ahead and shake your head. You need hope, right? You have situations that need to be redeemed. You're waiting for God to redeem your situation. I want you to know there's hope. The Lord's Supper should remind you that there is hope. God has already taken care of our greatest need, sin, and he can take care of whatever you are now facing. That is the reminder of Psalm 130. But here's something that's true for us all. As we are waiting for redemption to come, all right, that's what we're doing. We're waiting for a redemption to come. We can look around and see what's going on in the world, and here's what we know. We know things are still not right, right? You see trouble in the world, do you not? If, if you don't see any trouble in the world, just turn on the news later today, and you're going to find out there's some trouble going on in the world. So here's what we're doing. There's still things that need to be redeemed. Not all is right. We know there is redemption, all right? But, but here's what we're going to see. There's a redemption coming from all the suffering we face. Are you aware of that? There's where it needs the words of Romans 8 where it reads this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willing but because of him who subjected it in what? Hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom from, of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of the sons, the redemption of our bodies. We can all know today that for believers, there's a day coming when all things will be redeemed and all will be made right. No matter who you are today, if you're a believer, you should be living with hope. So here's what I do. We're gonna offer an invitation. And I want you to know today, as we come to the invitation, you can respond to God. If you've never experienced God's redemption from sin, this is an opportunity for you to come and to give your life to Jesus, the one who died for you and experience forgiveness and be given the hope of eternal life. If that's you today, if you are living life without Christ, as we have this invitation, I want you to know Brother Jacob will be over here. I will be over here. You come to one of us during this time. And we want to tell you fully, more fully, who Jesus is, how he lived that sinless life, how he died on a cross for your sin, how he rose again to prove who he was and what he offers to you by faith. If that's you, we want you to come today, all right, and talk to us because we want you to find that ultimate hope. But maybe the redemption you need today is from a circumstance or a situation. The God who has taken care of your sin is ready for you to come and cry out in, for his mercy, and he's ready to meet you no matter what your situation is. And so I'll say this to you as well. During this time of invitation, the altar is open to come and for you to bring your need to him. The altar is open for you to come and cry out to God and say, God, I need your mercy. This is also a time always for believers to come and celebrate the hope that you have by celebrating the Lord's Supper. And so if you're a believer today, when we have this invitation, you're free to come and walk around to the station in front of you, take these elements, go back to your seat 
take a moment and sit there and, and, and just pray to God and get your hearts prepared. And when your heart's prepared, you can take those elements, the bread representing the body of Christ broken for you, the juice representing his blood that was shed for you, and you can celebrate what you know God has done in your life this morning. But whatever your need is, this invitation is for you. And my prayer is today that you'll respond to a God, a God who has given us all hope this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you in these moments. Once again, calling out to you in our need, but thankful as the psalmist reminded us today that you are a God of hope, and that, Father, no matter what depths we find ourselves in today, that if we turn to you, there is redemption to be found because of your steadfast love. And so this morning, we turn to you in these moments of invitation, and I pray folks will listen, folks will respond to you. Whatever you laid upon our heart, I pray today they'll be obedient, and that, Father, they'll cry out to this God who loves them and find that you'll meet them here. And so speak to us in this moment, Father. Again, this invitation is fully in your hands. Let your spirit move freely, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.